Hello and welcome to the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. My name is Shmuel Tenenhaus. That's right. And this is my podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me today as I record from my studio here in Hallandale Beach, Florida. So we have a plethora of topics to discuss, and I will jump right in. The first thing is, uh, as we are now in Spheris Omer, the counting of the Omer, I wanted to talk about how brave we are to have the Maccabees. You see, when the Jewish people were up against the Greeks, there was one group of people that were unintimidated. These were the Maccabees. They got up there and, you know, the Greeks wanted to fight us in a war and they had all their fancy technology and science. But the Maccabees, you know, they were like, hey, we can just sing a cappella music and bring down this empire. And uh, they can, you know, have songs about Latkes and we can take the songs from the Greeks and put Jewish words to them and we will win. Especially shout out to Yehuda Maccabees, who is great. And I'm so glad that, yeah, we do have Hanukkah, but now the Maccabees are getting uh, even more popular uh, because of Spotify. Next thing we want to talk about quickly is a friend of mine who unfortunately went through the Jewish Orthodox school system. And he, like many of us, has serious childhood trauma as a result. But his is slightly different. You see, his trauma, the way it's been described to me by him, is that, unfortunately, when he was in Jewish schools, he, uh, unfortunately, was not yelled at or hit by any teacher, not in any grade. And he feels, number one, completely left out. All of us who went through the system either got a potch, a shove, a push, for sure yelled at, or somebody throw a racer at your head, or a tennis ball, or had to, like me, clean toilets, stand in a corner and hold books. And by the way, these were all well-deserved things, which is why this friend of mine says, now I'm an adult, I'm in the real world. There's constantly challenges coming up, obstacles in my way. Everybody else who was physically abused or, or verbally abused in yeshiva, you know, has built up a resistance to it. But me, like, like they singled me out. I was the only one who didn't get yelled at or screamed at or hit. And uh, he's having a really uh, difficult time navigating his way right now in the world. My prayers go out to him. Next thing is I want to talk to you about starting a movement. It's already moving in my head, but now I'm going to share it externally. So if you're familiar, there's the BDS movement that deals uh, with not wanting to buy stuff that come from Israel. Uh, and then you have you know, BRS, which is the Boca Raton Synagogue. You also have IBS, which is you know, irritable, irritable bowel, uh, bowel syndrome. Uh, sorry, I was just that was a little 
clog there in my um, from my mouth. And then the other, you have BLM, Black Lives Matter. So you have a lot of these movements. My movement is going to be the BLS movement. And BLS is an acronym for the Bileshit movement. And essentially what it is, is to be in the movement, all you have to do is when you want to buy more of the shit you already have, then no. The BLS movement will be like, no, buy less because you don't need most of the stuff that you're buying. Now, in a move which may be interpreted as hypocritical, to promote my movement, I do have, uh, I will be opening. It's now kind of the plans are being drawn, but I am going to have a fully stocked uh, merch store, which you can go and buy hats, t-shirts, mugs, uh, a pin. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, hey, dude, if you're against buying more stuff, why are you going to have a merch store so people can actually go and buy stuff promoting your cause? The answer is similar to how people could be in support of climate change and have a big meeting somewhere in Switzerland, but go there on a private plane. Because ultimately, the cause that we're doing is more important than the short-term damage that's being done. So yes, I want everybody to go eventually buy swag from my merch store from the BLS movement. But again, it's really about the end cause here. So let's keep, keep your eye focused on the prize and ultimately, the greater good is once you buy all my merch for this movement, then you stop buying everything. Moving on. I wanted to share with you an important anecdote that happened to me when I was uh, attempting to go furniture shopping with my wife. I will not call out the particular store that it was other, to say, other than to say that this store sells crates, they sell barrels. And in the store, my wife was looking for dining room chairs. And we find a chair, and it's very possible that my wife, when she approached the salesperson on the floor, she wasn't laying on the floor. That's just a terminology that we use here in retail when somebody is in the physical store. So my wife approached us and said, hey, I like this chair, and you know what? To give credit, my wife may have said, I like her, like referring to the chair as a her. Okay. That's her prerogative. She's a shopper. It's a free country. Now, again, I didn't hear that part of the conversation, but then when the salesperson started to try to encourage a sale, I was hearing language like, yes, she's so pretty, this chair. She has a sister in a different part of the store. I love her too. She sells very well. She does really well. At some point in time, they asked me, hey, sit in the chair, see what you think about it. And I was like, at this point, now that there are so many pronouns attached to this chair, it feels like you're dealing with a real person here. I'm kind of feeling uncomfortable sitting on the chair right now because what if she doesn't like it? Now, we, although at some point in time, my wife had that expression on her face where the face said, I'm going to buy as many of these chairs as possible, regardless of our credit limit. At some point in time, we ended up 
uh, not getting those chairs and going to a different furniture store and getting different chairs. Now, I thought I was crazy and maybe I slightly am, but I shared this story with a relative of mine. And not only did he have a similar experience in the same store with the same salesperson, but him and his wife also thought it was hilarious how this woman salesperson, and it's a brilliant tactic, by the way, when a woman comes into shop to continue referring to her or continue to refer to the piece of furniture like it's a member of a sorority. So the woman's like, I mean, we got to do it for her. We, we got we to get her and her family and her sisters and her aunt and her cousin all over here in the store for a family furniture reunion. And now it's all going to the tenant house's house. Next, I want to talk a little about baked foods. There are people who, the way that they show emotional support to other people is via baked goods because they like to bake. I knew and know of such people. What I wanted to say is, I think I'm like the regular person with, you know, same type of emotional needs and they are great, but I definitely want more of such people in my life. Like, I need more people in my life who show their support via baked goods. Phone calls are nice, texts are nice, presents, but it, if just somebody wants to bake a, you know, a plate of cookies for me, that'll be super nice. Also, you're not supposed to show favoritism to your children. Uh, that's not a good thing. And one of my children, it just happens to be, enjoys baking and enjoys baking stuff where I could have the pleasure of stuffing my face with. To be honest, it's very difficult not liking that child more than the rest of my kids. I love all my kids, but one of them is making the baked goods. I don't know if you switch out the firstborn rights to the person who's baking. I have to consult with my rabbi and uh, I wanted to share that. Another thing to share is that I find that as a from person who naturally drives a required minivan, if and when the police would ever pull me over, no matter what, uh, they would catch me riding dirty. And that is just because with the kids, Kanainahar, it's very messy in the van. People just eat their snacks on the way back from carpool or they leave their breakfast in the morning. And so, yes, they will. And I, I would say if police pull over mo most from people with children, they will catch those people riding dirty. We're going to start getting into Pesach and a recap of some of my favorite, most notable things to chat about. The first thing is my wife clearly has tremendous faith in me because she sent me on a daunting mission to go to a kosher grocery store the day of Erev Pesach, the day where Pesach was going to be that evening. So obviously she mentioned a few times and the first couple of times I pretended that I didn't hear what she was saying until she texted me a list and then it was game over. It was a small list five items, and 
obviously I donned the required riot gear, also wore a protective cup because you never know, things go crazy in, uh, you know, in the kosher grocery store, Erev Pesach. On the list, number one thing was butter, like an order of priority. Then we had chocolate lebens. You know, it's 2, 2 a.m. on Cholamai. Do you know how many chocolate lebens you have left in your house? That was a very important thing to get. And there was a couple other items, including tomato sauce, gluten-free matzah, yardside candles, which I'll talk about soon. But because I knew that the number one priority on the list was butter, because my wife said, hey, if you were just able to get one thing, get the butter. So I got the butter. I also increased the chocolate leaven count to make sure that we had a good quota in our house. In fact, I was so panicked and there were only four chocolate lebens, I actually took the box off the shelf, the little cart, a little container that it was in. And somebody from the store said, what are you doing? Take it. This is a grocery store. What are you walking around with that box? Basically, he definitely, uh, gro- kosher grocery food store shamed me, uh, but I didn't cave to take a cart or a basket. I just had my own little makeshift box right off of the shelf. Anyways, I come home, I get, so I get the lebens, I get the butter, and I believe, yeah, I got some yardside candles. When I come home, my wife is looking at me and saying, where's the rest of the stuff that were on the list? And I said, well, the reality is, is this was the stuff that you said was most important. And my wife is like, I cannot believe that I just sent you to the store to get six items and you come back with three. And personally, and if you're a man listening to this, I think if you come back with 50% of the groceries and it's Erev Pesach and you didn't get physically injured from an altercation, either in the parking lot or in the store, I think that is big success. Again, my wife was saying, well, if you went to a store that only had one of those items, then the butter is most important. But if you go to a store that has all the items, why would you bother getting the other items on the list? And obviously the answer is, one, I'm a man, I'm not that smart. Two, I already got 50% of the items. Three, just imagine that they only had these three items, so I got the number one item, the number two item, plus the yardside candles. There is a documentary called Fire Festival. Uh, You can probably watch it on Netflix or any other uh, garbage streaming service that is available today. And... I feel that that is an appropriate new name for Pesach Fire Festival. Uh, One, because there are fires involved. Uh, Your marriage could be on fire leading up to Pesach or in middle of Pesach. The next thing is you do have to burn the chametz, so that is another fire. And similar to the actual fire festival, which ended up being a complete rush up to a certain date, and then there's problems with food when the time comes and there are problems with sleeping arrangements, I feel kind of that's what Pesach is. It's like a countdown. It's 20 days to Pesach, 18 days to Pesach, 14 days to Pesach, 12 days to Pesach. And you keep compromising as things go. So it is a modern day fire festival. Next thing, during the Seder, uh, I have a friend who did the following, and I don't think it's a wise move, so I'm calling this out as a public service 
courtesy and announcement. So he decides that his trick is that when they pour the cup for Elio, he goes outside, puts on a, a white sheet, and then walks around the neighborhood and pretends to be Elio, sometimes knocking on a window. Well, first of all, you live in a very urban neighborhood. Second of all, the sheet is okay. You don't have to wear also a white hood. You also don't need to tell everybody that you're really going from house to house to visit your clan. Use a more generic term like family. Otherwise, one, you can get beat up. Two, it's offensive because you look like a clansman walking around all the Jewish neighborhoods, and it's just not, it's not a good look on you. I think we, we, we need to move past the Leo prank. I know a lot of people have struggled and continue to struggle, and it's almost a week after Pesach, with their digestive tract. Some of, sometimes people will stay home for Pesach and their digestive system will kind of just check out for Pesach. Like, okay, you're, it's Pesach now. We're, we're, we're taking two weeks break. One thing I saw that uh, has been helpful and blessed by a couple rabbis in Israel, and people are swearing by its success, is uh, some families will now put a similar to uh, a laminated shir hamalis when you walk into the house with the baby. They have a laminated asher yatsar, uh, you know, taped with you know painters tape. It's either the front door of the house. They won't do it on the bathrooms because that's sacrilege. But they'll do it on different doors in the house. And what this does is it it, it enables and and it helps a person manifest. Uh, the notion and the dream of healthy digestion through Pesach. Next, I want to read an ad because this show would be nothing without our generous sponsors. Are you flat-footed and like to complain? Do you enjoy staying active and relish any opportunity to criticize everyone and anything? Let me tell you about a new sneaker brand called Kvetchers. These shoes will keep your glutes tight while enabling your chronic ability to kvetch about everything. The sneakers come with a built-in thumbtack, which will pinch you whenever you complain for more than five minutes. This is done for the safety of yourself and for those around you who are frankly getting fed up with all your kvetching. Visit fetchers.com forward slash the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast or use code Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast and Fetchers will add 15% cost to your order. So this is not actually a discount code. This is an increase code. And let me guess, you're going to start fetching about this type of promotion because that's pretty much all that you do. Right, you're just sitting there fetching now. When I tried to let you know about this brand and gave you an opportunity to spend an extra fifteen percent here, we know you're going to complain anyways. You know, so we just figured it would be an opportunity to increase our margins. Now, another thing that I loved about Pesach is we switch over from davening, from requesting. Rain to requesting dew. 
And it's sometimes a bit of a requires muscle memory to remember what is it that you're davening for. People will, will make mistakes and have to start again. And this is a conversation which I think plays out in a lot of houses between husband and wife or family members. Guy comes back to shul. Wife is like, okay, how was shul? What did you ask for? He's like, I asked for rain. His wife is, you asked for rain? You idiot. You schmuck. Do you see how much rain there is outside? It's flooding. We, we have to walk to shul in boots. And you ask for rain? Dude, you're, need supposed to, you're supposed to be asking for dew. Do you do? Mountain dew. Do not rain. Anyways, that's a great conversation to have have with people. And as a result of a couple of people uh, probably mixing up the request, instead of asking for rain, sorry, instead of asking for do, they asked for rain. It's unsurprising that naturally there was a crazy amount of rain here during Cholamite, which was great for me because it enabled a lot of cheap activities, can't really do much. We're just sitting around indoors. Can't even order Uber Eats, which is another great thing about Pesach. And it was also a tremendous amount of flooding here in South Florida on the second days of Pesach. Now, I was mentioning it's because possibly people were asking for rain instead of asking for dew. But the real reason why we experience such torrential rains and flooding here in the Hallandale, Hollywood area and possibly Fort Lauderdale is because our shoal and others, and I'm not going to call out the other shoals, uh, made the idiotic mistake of allowing somebody who works in public adjusting to buy Mafter Yaina. You knew this was going to happen. This person's job is to react to a natural disaster. And now you sold him after Yaina. Yeah, of course there's going to be flooding. You should have seen this guy's face, how happy he was during Musaf when people's homes were getting totaled because his Mafter Yaina purchase was, was, was paying off. And I, and I would like to speak to Schulz now and say, hey, listen, yes, you want to you want to auction off the different aliyahs for wealth, but you got to make sure that you're not giving it to the wrong person. Like another thing, like I know a family that made a killing during COVID because they were very involved with, you know, health clinics and COVID vaccines and everything COVID related. Now, unbeknownst to a lot of people, this family had a concentrated effort to bid on Mafteriena that year. So of course there was COVID and there was need for COVID. You know, I know there were certain years there were, you know, the economy was booming and strong retail sales. Again, somebody who's an Amazon seller purchased Mafteriena. The San Francisco earthquake, I remember from the 80s, that was a plumber in San Francisco that that purchased Mafteriena, which ended up leading to, you know, plumbing being down as a result of the earthquake and his business booming, but other people are, you know, now included in collateral damage. During Pesach, I also had the opportunity to read a book beginning to end with no pictures. Obviously, there was pictures in the middle, but this wasn't a graphic novel. Uh, a graphic novel. 
And uh, this was a book by a memoir by Matthew Perry of Friends. The book is called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. I absolutely recommend reading this book. Uh, just describes his life, for the most part, struggling with addiction and alcoholism. Uh, I wanted to read a line here, uh, a couple sentences here. He's talking about the first time he had a drink. I realized that for the first time in my life, nothing bothered me. The world made sense. It wasn't bent and crazy. I was complete, at peace. I had never been happier than in that moment. This is the answer, I thought. This is what I've been missing. This must be how normal people feel all the time. I don't have any problems. It is all gone. I don't need attention. I am taken care of. I am fine. Uh, there was another great, many, many good, interesting things uh, in the book. Very heartwarming, also very funny, uh, but uh, very honest. Uh, this was a quote that he quoted from his therapist, and I'm sure he had many, saying, uh, reality is an acquired taste. Indeed it is, or that's what, uh, that's what I hear, at least. Anyways, highly recommend reading that book. Uh, by the way, I don't think I watched a single episode of Friends. Um, I don't know why that is, but probably because I didn't like the show. I think that's what it's about. Uh, another thing is we had a three-day Yomtif, the first part of Yomtif. There's nothing like turning your phone on with that adrenaline rush when Yomtif is over for three days, thinking, surely I have some important uh, voicemails. I have very lucrative emails I have to respond to. Uh, lots of uh, memes that were forwarded to me on WhatsApp. Uh, but uh, sadly, it was none of that. I had no phone action for three days. It's shameful to say. Like, I literally turned my phone on after a three-day hiatus and nothing was going on. There was no alert. Yeah, it's possible a lot of my social group was also observing Pesach. Hence, you know, I didn't have people to send it to me, but it's not everybody that I know. Uh, and uh, it's very interesting because despite knowing that, somehow an hour or two after Pesach or... You know, once Chalmite started, you know, I'm deep back into uh, the prison that is in my phone and checking all the time. Did I get new notifications or did I not? And this is after three days where I turn my phone on and there's nothing. No important emails. Nobody wanted to get a hold of me. Nobody wanted to call me. Nada. Not, not even wrong numbers. Uh, I didn't get any wrong. People didn't even spam me during those days. Just awful. Uh, two disturbing things. I wanted to get to is uh, I am mulling uh, potentially legal action against a yard site, a candle company. They make yard site candles because when I purchased it, it said on the packaging that this was meant to be a 24 hour yard site candle. And, you know, without exaggerating, it seems like this was a 22 hour candle. And the amazing thing is that I was looking as the candle was going down, going, there's no way that this thing is going to make it and get us past the finish line so I could light candles from existing flame. Th this thing is just going out. So I had to light another backup candle to keep it going. And I don't know, again, if this is an inflation thing where the cost of things go up. So really, they're only giving you 22 hours in a 24-hour yardside candle. The next thing I heard about this yumptif, but I did not uh, encounter it myself, but it is kind of shocking, is that there are now Erev Tafshilan detectives. Uh, 
that their job, I don't know if they do this full-time, but maybe just Yontif, they'll go to, from house to house uh, inquiring just, you know, what you put aside for Erev Tashilin, was it enough food? Are you just going to put it in the freezer, in a backup refrigerator, and find it six months later because you're not really taking it seriously? So drop some hints, leave their card if anybody has any additional information regarding the Erev Tashilin on-premises. I think that's really taking uh, the religious fervor a bit too far. What I do with my Erev Tashilin is my business. Please get your nose out of my Shilin. Okay? Now, we have to talk about something which divides our community, and naturally so. Some, some people are better than others. And, and this, is, you know, this is something relative to Cholomite, uh, either Cholomite Sukkot or Cholomite Pesach, and that is, um, does your family have chost or do they not have chost? Um, chost means... Do you, have, as a family, have your Cholomite shit together or not? And you know what I'm talking about. There are some people, even before Yom Tev starts, they know what they're doing. They know what days they're going to do it on. They know who they're going to do it with, and they have their tickets purchased. The kids have a compass in, guess, in, case, in case they get lost. They have printed maps in case the GPS goes out. They have an umbrella uh, in case it rains. And they have a cooler full of Kosher Pesach stuff that's just waiting and rearing for them to go. Now, families who don't have chost, who do not have their Cholomite shit together, they are getting out of bed about 10, 11 o'clock, bleary-eyed because they stayed up very late the night before. They get up, let's say, 10, 11 o'clock. They go to shul. There's musaf. They dray around in shul for an hour or two, sharing, swapping Seder stories. Till when did your Seder go? Till when did my Seder go? When did the kids fall asleep? Which kid puked from drinking too much wine? It's the usual conversation. And then from 12 to 12.30, this person on the way home from Shul actually just parks his car, gets, gets, gets out of the car, and, crash, and, and scratches his tochas for a half an hour. Then he comes home at 12.30. By the time they pack the lunches, they get going. It's 3 in the afternoon. Now it's raining. It's almost Shkia time. You have to count Sphira. And they basically are driving a few times around the block. And the husband and wife are now in therapy for another couple of years because Chost is lacking from this relationship. We end off on a very positive note. And while I'm not much of an analyst or commentator on geopolitics, I do sympathize with people in the Ukraine and also, the many people in Russia who are not for the ro- war, what I understand is it is the silent uh, majority there in Russia, because if you oppose it, you can end up falling uh, potentially right out of a window of your building accidentally, or just dying from poison in a different country, miraculously. So I am s- saddened and disheartened by what's going on there. At the same time, I do want to say this year, our family purchased Ukrainian matzahs. And to me, this year's matzahs were A, from Ukraine, super thin, the thinnest I ever got them. Second of all, the shlemus, they were all full matzahs. This tells me and shows everyone that despite 
being a time of war, somehow a country can crank out the best matzahs they've ever, they've ever produced. Ukraine matzahs, in my opinion, were at the top of the game this year. I've never had such good matzahs for Pesach. New York matzahs were $40 a pound. Ukrainian matzahs were $28 a pound. And they were still crunchier. And there were more whole matzahs, which suggests that potentially, uh, you know, there was somewhat of a NATO backing to get the pricing where it needs to be and show the Russians that, yeah, it's, it's a time of war, but we have hit our stride with matzahs. There's also been talks, I've read articles, um, or I've seen headlines. Nobody reads articles anymore. I've seen headlines from uh, the author, the writer, Seymour Hirsch, and he's an investigative reporter. He's talking about money gone missing, a lot of, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that went supposedly to support the Ukraine war, but now has gone missing. And, you know, the answer is clear that a lot of that excess money clearly went to the refinement and the scientific overhaul of these Ukrainian matzahs because, again, to me, the fact that, again, it's, it's a time of war and a country can hit its stride with the export of matzahs successfully to different countries is something, I think, to remind us that when we're going through a hard time, we can also, you know, potentially strive to reach further and higher. In fact, I am now walking around with a Ukrainian matzah with me at all times just to remind me of that message. I now have one hanging uh, together in my car with uh, a, a thing that has a very good fragrance. So I have a good fragrance, and then I also have a Ukrainian matzah, which makes it hard to see while I'm driving sometimes, but it, it, it serves as that reminder. Thank you very much, everybody.